Man, that was weird. So you ever just read scripture and um, like the weirdest thing will hit you and just like get you in your emotions? Literally when Tracy just read, she gave birth to a son. Like I got misty. It was weird. It was just like, man, yes, she gave birth to a son. Um, God's word is good, right? Um, and just being able to, to open this up. And these are stories, y'all. I know these are stories you read every Christmas. If you're a church kid that kind of grew up in church and you've been around this for a while, some of y'all are not. And you're hearing this, some of this for the first time and some of these stories and sort of the nuances of what God did uh, at that time when Jesus was born. But even looking back at the prophecies about all of that. And man, it's so amazing to see it and see how it all um, just kind of works together. Anyway, I just wanted to say God's word is so good. Amen. Um, it's just amazing. So let's pray together and we're going to jump in. We'll be in Luke 2 uh, for the most part this morning. Um, so you can just go ahead and turn there. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that your word is good, that it's uh, true, that someone like Luke could just so many years ago do such hard work to interview people and, and, and learn the histories and see what went on in the days of Jesus so that he could write it down for us through your spirit, God, that he would be led to give us these amazing stories. Um, and thank you for all the, the writers of your word that gave us such clear and evident um, truth so that we could look back and we could see that you are such a purposeful and intentional God that you have been writing these stories for thousands of years to put them before us, the truth before us, the gospel of good news, of great joy. Um, God, we just thank you. And so this morning... Um, oh God, just plant that joy in our hearts so that we would live accordingly, standing firm on your word, standing firm on the joy that you give us in Jesus Christ and not standing on anything else. Thank you, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, quick question. Um, it's Christmas time, so Christmas question. What is the best gift you have ever gotten for Christmas. All right, so I'm gonna actually, a little crowd participation here. So do this for me. Just like turn to somebody near you and just tell them what is the best gift you remember ever getting for Christmas. So tell, tell somebody around you real quick. And then if you have a good one, I might just ask you to, to shout it out. So go ahead, like, talk, talk. What's the best Christmas gift you have ever gotten? Just Christmas, not birthday. Christmas gift. What is it? All right, has anybody got like a super good one? Like, this one will blow your mind. Anybody got one? Raise your hand if you got one. Anybody? Nobody? You guys get lame gifts for Christmas every year? Yes. Best Christmas gift ever? Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo. Yes. 80s, 90s kids. Say amen. Because that's awesome. Super Nintendo. I got an N64 when I was a kid. Um, that, was, that was awesome. What else? Raise your hand if you got one. Anybody got like a really good one? What was something you got for Christmas one year? Anybody? A what? I, a KitchenAid mixer. Is that what you said? Yeah, those are great. I got one of those. Um, KitchenAid mixer. Yeah, super good. Um, what, just as we think about Christmas gifts, too, it's, it's funny. Christmas gifts always kind of get in these two categories of like, there's awesome gifts. But then there's sort of like everybody understands there's certain gifts that are just the worst kinds of gifts, right? And there's really a whole category of those. Now, a KitchenAid mixer, that's a great one. But sometimes we get gifts that are like really practical gifts that are just an insult. You know what I mean? Like, husbands, be careful with this. You know what I'm saying? Like, a KitchenAid mixer, that's cool if she wants it, and like, that's the gift, but like, an iron or a vacuum, maybe not all the time, best gifts, but like, really practical things, or like, when you're a kid, what is it? Like, what's the worst thing when you're a kid? 
clothes, like socks. I remember getting like pajamas one year. You're like, okay, I don't know, it's fine. But um, there, you know, or or or, you ever get a gift like, especially when you're a kid, you ever get a gift that you had to share? It's like this is a this is a co-gift for you and your siblings. Like maybe maybe Super Nintendo or something like that. But sometimes it's like a gift that like you can't really play with just on your own. You need to share it. I don't know. Sometimes as kids you're just like, oh man, like I want I want the I want the gift for myself. And I was just thinking about that this week because I was thinking about man the gifts that we're talking about for Advent, right? So uh, the very first week was hope, and last week was love, and this week is joy. I don't know if you could tell with all the songs we were just singing, um, but talking about joy today. These are gifts, right? These are the gifts that God has given us in Jesus Christ. And for us, man, as we look at these gifts, these Christmas gifts, these Advent gifts, these are gifts that are better when they're shared, right? These are gifts that are actually, they, I, 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 would, I would venture to say that love and hope and joy that we're talking about today are just better for us and in us when we give them away and share them with others, right? Um, actually, Scripture talks a lot about this, that love is not complete until it works through us, right? Um, Paul and the other apostles talk about making their joy complete by giving it away to others who are now living in the gospel and living with the joy that they have in Jesus, right? So all these things that we have, y'all, in Christ, they're really not complete and they're really not doing what they're meant to do in us unless we are giving them away unless they're shared uh, in us and then through us to other people. So today, today we're talking about joy. We're going to look at the story of the shepherds, mainly the shepherds themselves, as they kind of receive this good news, as the angel said, good news of great, what? Joy. Good news of great joy. You just heard Teray read from Isaiah chapter 60 about the glory of the Lord shining around Jerusalem, which is just sort of um, pointing towards this night of the angels and their brightness and their glory shining in the glory of God. Um, and then Tracy read from Luke chapter 2. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you guys would flip over there with me. Just looking at the birth of Jesus here. So I'm actually going to read. I'm starting verse 1. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So uh, Luke's just kind of setting the stage, okay? Um, Mary and Joseph were not from Bethlehem, right? They're from Nazareth. That's where Joseph is from. They're from the town of Nazareth. But um, beautifully enough, God would use the Roman emperor to issue a decree that the governor would enact in Palestine Okay, and actually history, there, there's some fascinating history around this. So, uh, scholars were confused about this census and this Quirinius who was governor of Syria for, for actually like 1,700 years. They were confused about this date because they looked at it and they were like, Quirinius wasn't governor of Syria until like 8 AD, several years later after Jesus was born. They were very confused. And a lot of people looked at that for 1,700 years and thought the Bible was wrong. In 1700, they found a tablet in the dirt in Palestine that named a man who was governor of Syria twice in 8 AD and about 10 years earlier, and that was query. Isn't that amazing how just like archaeology finds out that the Bible is right over and over and over again? So this guy, Quirinius, governor of Syria, issues um, or kind of puts into place the, uh, the census that is to be taken. So Mary and Joseph have to travel all the way to the place where God said his son would be born. 
Bethlehem, right? All right, verse 8. And there were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Um, Sorry, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. So we meet these shepherds out in the fields around Bethlehem. The shepherds are kind of interesting characters to meet out in these fields. Now, in this time, in the day of Jesus, out in the fields around Bethlehem, shepherds pretty much lived out there, mostly year-round, staying out in the fields with sheep like like they would kind of do, because these were very important sheep. These were actually the sheep, the lambs that were raised for the temple sacrifices in Jerusalem, um, which is kind of cool, right, that Jesus is born where sacrificial lambs are born, right? So um, they're, they're raising these sheep. They're raising these lambs out in the fields. And I, man, I, I've known a lot, a little bit anyway, about shepherds over the years, but I did a little bit more research just to kind of make sure I understood like who these guys were and what was up with the shepherds and why God would choose the shepherds. We named this series Unexpected. And I think the shepherds, maybe as much even as Mary, this unexpected uh, young teenage virgin who would have the child, Jesus, maybe even as much as her, these shepherds would be unexpected people to hear of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ first before anybody else. And here's why. Um, I've always known that shepherds, they were considered unclean. They, they themselves couldn't even go and offer the sacrifices of the lambs that they were raising, right? They weren't allowed really into the inner parts of the temple. They were unclean citizens. But more than that, they were actually, here's what I found out this week um, from a man named Dr. Joe Kim Jeremiah. He was a scholar of ancient Near Eastern studies, a Christian theologian back in the 70s. Um, And he actually just did a lot of research on who these shepherds were. They were not only unclean religiously, they were despised socially. People did not like these men. Um, it's, it's really weird if you kind of look through the history of God's people because in Genesis, the Hebrew people were mainly what? Shepherds. They were mainly nomadic people who traveled around, and they were, they were shepherds, right? You see them all the time, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Like, they have sheep, and they're shepherds out in the fields. And that really changes when we get to the book of Exodus. And actually, in Exodus 46, Joseph, when he gets his brothers, you know the story, Joseph, coat of many colors, right? And he gets his brothers to come to Egypt because now he's living in Egypt. He's second in command. His brothers come there. And in Exodus 46, he actually tells, uh, Genesis 46, he actually tells his brothers this. The Egyptians hate shepherds. He tells them that. Like, they despise shepherds. And so the people of God end up living in Egypt. And over those 400 years, probably, is when they began to change their customs, right? They became not so much nomadic, and they settled in one area. And they became agricultural, right? So for, throughout the rest of God's, the history of God's people, really what we see is the Israelites become very much more agricultural people. And agriculturalists, farmers, and shepherds do not really get along, right? Because sheep eat 
grass, right? They, they eat their stuff, right? So, you know, farmers don't often want goats and sheep and all that stuff around. So what they would do is they would put these shepherds out in these fields, these random Bethlehem fields, and be like, you guys live out there. You guys stay away. Y'all don't really come into Jerusalem or near our, our stuff, right? Because we don't want to talk. So not only were they unclean religiously, they were outcasted socially. And it became that over these kind of thousand years or so between those times up until the time of Jesus that these shepherds began to be seen by everybody else as just people that were untrustworthy, unclean, unnoticed, unimportant. They did an important job and that's kind of all they were good for, right? Their job. Anybody, anybody feel that way sometimes? All you're good for is what you do, what you can produce, what you can make in the world. Is this not American culture? Your identity is what you do. Nobody cares about who you are. Nobody cares about you personally. But produce for us. Give us the lambs. Give us the sheep. Because if they don't raise these sheep, nobody's getting forgiven a sin. Right? They have to do what they're doing. And yet they themselves completely despise. Which is actually interesting too. Because you can kind of ask the question, how is it? That, you know, these angels appeared that night to these shepherds and they obviously know that this Jesus who was born is Christ the Lord because he tells them that. And yet for 30 more years until Jesus really starts his ministry, nobody seems to know about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of weird. Why wouldn't anybody know? The reason would be because nobody talked to shepherds. Nobody would believe them anyway. Why did God choose these shepherds? I think that's one reason. Because he wanted to keep that for 30 more years sort of a secret, but also to let it be known later when Luke would write this account that who were the first people to hear the gospel of good news? Those that were despised, those that were unclean, according to the religious leaders, those that were hated, those that were outcasted. You ever feel small? You ever feel like nobody really cares? We talked about this last week. Nobody sees you. Nobody thinks much of you. Or like I just asked, do you ever feel like all you are is what you produce? You ever just feel unclean? You're in good company today. The company of God's people. Welcome to church, right? Because that's who we are. And that's why Luke would write this story for us. That's why God would have the glory of him, his own son, come and be announced to these shepherds in these fields that night to let it be known. God does not care what your class system is. God does not care what everybody else thinks about you. He has a plan and a purpose that he wants to tell you and me, and the whole world this morning. And that plan and that purpose is through Jesus Christ our Lord, and that is for all people. And that's what the angel announces to them, is it not? That this would be good news of great joy for all people. So it says the angels kind of show up to them, and they're scared, right? Instantly, like angels, they see the angels, and they're freaking out. Now, these are shepherds, right? And a lot of times when we see in the Bible um, that there are angels somewhere, people are scared almost all the time, right? But these are shepherds. Shepherds are brave. Shepherds fight off animals, wolves, and lions, or bears, or whoever, right? Like all the time, keeping their sheep safe. And yet, in this moment, they are terrified. And of course, like the angels always do, they kind of say, don't be afraid. He says, for I bring you what? Good news. Everybody say it again. Of great joy, good news of great joy, he says, that will be for all the people. And here's the good news of great joy that will be for all the people. He says, today in the town of David, that's 
Bethlehem. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He uses three words to describe Jesus. Today, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior, Christ, Lord. Savior, who is Jesus? Our Savior. He is the one who saves us from our sins. So even in this moment that Jesus is born, he's really pointing to the ultimate reason that he was born. Do you guys know why Jesus was born? To save us. How would he do that? He had to die for us. Because we're sinful. And we're going to talk more about this next week. Just really what our sin has done to us in our relationship with God. And how he had to come and make peace with us. But this angel is announcing this to the shepherds this night. That he would be a savior. That he would save us from our sins. I actually did some research on this as well. I don't know if you guys know this. But you can't die unless you're born. Anybody? You can fact check that. I think it's true. This is the reason. He was born to be our Savior, that he would die for our sins, that he would redeem us and rescue us and reconcile us back to our Father, God. And he says he's Christ. What is Christ? He's Savior, but he's also Christ. That's the Messiah. That's the chosen one, the anointed one, the one whom all the scriptures point to, the one who the prophets were talking about, the fulfillment of every promise of scripture wrapped up in those swaddling cloths. That's who he is. He's Savior and he's Christ. And then he says he's Lord. What does that mean? Elizabeth already confessed that. We saw it last week when John the Baptist jumped in her womb and she says, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come? That Jesus is also Lord. That means he's our master. He's our God. He's not just our Savior that died on the cross. He's our Lord that we will follow and trust all the days of our life. He must be to you and to me. If the gospel is good news of great joy to you, Jesus must be to you, Savior, Christ, and Lord. The one who dies for your sins, that you would confess and repent and turn to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all promises of God, and that you would follow him as Lord. That he is all three of these things. So he says, this is good news of great joy. And he says, this will be a sign to you that you'll find a, a child wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. I'm not going to, there's, there's a lot I could go into here that's so fascinating. But just let it be known that this is true, that um, in those days, as the shepherds would raise these sacrificial lambs, you know what they would do to keep them safe when one was born who was perfect and spotless? They would wrap it in cloth and they would lay them in mangers to protect them. But they would only do that for the most perfect, the most spotless, the ones who would be used for the atoning sacrifices of the sins of Israel. So when the angel said this would be a sign to you, what do they know about this Jesus? That he's that. He's the sign. He's the one. He is the Lamb of God who has been pointed to by the prophets. Right? I just think that's amazing that that's what the sign was, a child it was a sacrificial lamb wrapped in cloth. So the angels praise God and glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. That's the next week. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. And then they kind of disappear into the night. And it's quiet again. So I, I want to ask this question real quick, though, before we move on. The angel said that this would be good news of great joy to all people. All the peoples. What he says. Good news of great joy to all the people. Do those words hold up? Does that promise hold up? 
Is it true what the angel said, that this gospel would be good news, that's what gospel means, good news of great joy to all people? Oh, i got a slide I want to show you. As we go to the book of Acts, you don't have to turn there, and I don't have time to read all these passages, but as we go to the book of Acts, um, here's what we see. Now, Luke, who wrote Luke, also wrote Acts, right? He wrote both of those books. And in Acts, what he's doing is, I think one of his goals is to show that what the angel said came true that the gospel is good news of great joy to all the people. All right, so uh, you, can, you can write this down. You can take a picture of that screen if you want to. Go back and read these later. But in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, the gospel comes to who? The Jewish people. And at the end of that, it says, they all get together with gladness and sincerity in their hearts. What is that? Joy. It's good news of great joy to the Jews. And then we see the Samaritans. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Right In Acts chapter 8, the gospel comes to the Samaritans, and it says that they rejoice at the gospel. So it's true what the angel said to the Jews and the Samaritans. Proselytes, those are people who are not Jewish by descent, but they're converts to Judaism, people who are from other places. In Acts chapter 8, we see this guy who's an Ethiopian. He's from Ethiopia. He's not a Jewish son of Abraham by descent, but he has become a Jew, so he's going to Jerusalem to worship. And he receives the gospel. It says that he went away. Guess what? rejoicing. It's joy, right? The gospel comes to him and he rejoices. And then we see Gentiles. Gentiles represents everybody else in the world. Everybody who's not Jewish. So those two passages, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 13, we see the Gentiles receive the gospel and guess what they do? They rejoice at the word. Uh, Particularly Acts chapter 13 says they rejoice at the word of the Lord. You know what that is? The gospel of good news for joy for all people. So the answer is, does, does the message of the angel hold up? Is it, is it true that the gospel will be good news of great joy to all the people? Yes, the gospel is good news of great joy to all people. And he actually says all the people. Y'all see the the in there? All the people. Now that, that, that phrase, the people, that generally means a particular people group right? The people would mean like the Jews, the Israelites, the Gentiles, the whoever, right? Like the people. And what's interesting about this is as we kind of think about that and we go, okay, well, he said the people, but what we see here is that everybody, every ethnic group all over the planet has received and can receive the gospel of good news. So it's not just about one particular ethnic group, is it? When he says the people, you know what he's talking about? He's saying the people is everyone in the world, who receives the gospel of good news of great joy. We are the people. You are the people. Your neighbors are the people. Your friends are the people. Your family are the people. People in China are the people. People in Cambodia are the people. People all over the world are the people if we receive the gospel with great joy. We're the people. We don't look the same. We don't speak the same language. We don't eat the same food. We don't wear the same clothes, but we have the same joy. In Jesus Christ, all the people, that's us all over the world, we're the people, the people of God. If you receive the gospel of joy, you're the people of God. This is good news of great joy for all the people. And so the angels kind of go away, they disappear, and then the, the, the shepherds do something, all right? Let's read the end of the story. Verse 15, it says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told of them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So here's what I want to do, just to kind of wrap this, this time up about joy. I want to give you five things that this tells us about joy. Five things about joy that we see right there in those verses from Luke chapter 2, verses uh, 15 through uh, 20. The first thing is this, that joy produces urgency. If you have received the gospel of joy, right, it produces in you an urgency. What do the shepherds do? The shepherds go, we need to go right now. That's what it said, like, we need to go see it now. It says they went away in a hurry. They're like, man, I got I to see, I got to know. Guys, joy that Jesus gives us, it produces in us this urgency to test and approve what his word says, to do his will, to be obedient to him. If you find yourself lacking in obedience, if you find yourself lazy in obedience, then I would say you're probably lacking in joy in the Lord. Because, man, joy produces in us this urgent obedience to his word to do what he says to do. The second thing, joy wants to be shared. It wants to be like, what do they do when they get there? It says that they share it with everybody. They told them what the angels told them, the gospel of good news of great joy. They wanted to share it, right? The third thing, that joy is contagious. Joy is contagious, right? When they shared it, what did all the other people do? It says that they said it in, everybody else who heard it was what? Amazed. When they heard of the joy, when they heard of what the angels told the shepherds and the shepherds shared it with them, and they were simply amazed. Y'all, joy wants to be shared, and when it is shared, listen, it's contagious. I know contagious is a buzzword right now in our world, right, that we live in. We don't want to think about things that are contagious, but this is, forget COVID, this is contagious. Joy is contagious. You want something that will spread, and it has spread for 2,000 years all over the world to all the people. It's joy in the gospel. Share it. Spread it. It will catch, and it will move in people's hearts, and it will change people's lives. Number four, joy glorifies God. Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. What do you do when your heart is full of the joy of the gospel? You praise him. It's not about you. It's not about what you've done. It's about God, and that gives us more joy, right? Like we get more joy as we praise God. Have you ever like really been worshiping the Lord? Like really worshiping the Lord and just thought, man, man, this is horrible. You know what I mean? Like, no, like you're in that moment. You know God loves me and I'm singing to him and I'm worshiping him and I'm glorifying him and I receive more joy when I do that. And it's this cycle, this beautiful cycle of God, worship and joy and worship and joy, glorifying God because of what he's done. And the fifth thing is this. That joy rests on God's faithfulness. It rests on the faithfulness of God. So the very last verse says this. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Listen, which were just as they had been told. Where did this joy come from? They were told something and it came true. They saw it. They saw it. And joy rests on the faithfulness of God. 
And so I just, I have a little illustration that I want to use this morning just to kind of think about what that means for us in our lives. Here's the question. What are you resting on? What are you standing on? Like, what is your life built on? What are the things that you rest on in your life? Guys, there are all sorts of things. I'm going to use this little wooden block, okay? Uh, There are all sorts of things in our lives. I'm going to step down here, Matt. All sorts of things in our lives that we may want to build our lives on. Now, this little thing right here, this could be your finances. This could be your family. This could be your talents. This could be what you're good at. This could be your job. This could be your friends. This could be the way that you look, right? You kind of build your life on some sort of thing that you think, if I could just stand on this, that I'll be happy, right? That if I could just live my life. Can I, can I get a volunteer? Jeremy, will you help me? Sure. Come here. Can you stand on this? One foot. That if we could just go, you know what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if we just kind of go, you know what? I'm not going to help you. You just, if you need to put a foot down, keep trying, keep trying. That if we could just stand on this thing, right? Whatever it is. And guys, it, it might look all sorts of ways. Keep trying, keep trying. It might look all sorts And look, we might for even a season be able to do it for just a second and go, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, right? I'm fine. Life is fine. I can do it. Look, life is fine. Life is great. Life is great. But then behind closed doors, what does it really look like? We know what it looks like. That we can't keep it up, no matter how hard we try. And listen, listen, this is what the world is doing all around us every single day. Stay for just a second. This is what the world is doing all around us every single day, trying to pretend that they can stand on these things and they have joy. But we know it's not true because there is no joy in this. No matter if you could do that for an hour, there's no joy in that. You know why? Because you know it's your effort. You know it's wearing you out. And you know it's embarrassing when you have to fall down. What's evangelism? What is it to share the good news of great joy? You know what it is? Stand up on that. It's simply this. Hey, God, I know a better way. I know a better way, right? I, I know you've been living on this. And look, some of y'all are like, wait, I thought this was about sin. I thought evangelism was about telling people they're sinners. Listen, do you understand what sin is? Sin is trusting anything more than we trust Jesus, right? Sin is trying to live our lives on that. You can have a seat. Uh, Sin is trying to live our lives standing on this thing and not standing on the God of the universe. That's sin in our hearts going, there's something better. Jeremiah calls sin this, trying to drink out of broken cisterns, right? That's what sin is. Just going, you know what? I'm good. I'm fine. I can do this. I can live my life. I can build my little tower of happiness and I can stand on it. Guys, evangelism is just us going, there's something better. It's here, right? Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Now listen, could all of us stand on this? No, but we can all stand on the same exact foundation right now. Can we not? We can all stand here. We can all stand here because the foundation that God wants to lay under our feet is not happiness, not temporary. It's not, maybe I can do this, maybe I can't. It's joy in Jesus Christ, that he's a foundation for all the people, all the people. You can't share that. Some of y'all went to step studies for whatever that is, right? You know that's not worth it. You know that's not good. You know that can't do it. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. Whatever that is in your life that you're kind of faking through right now, pretending everything's fine, that you have joy, you have happiness, or you have what you need or whatever, but you're really just, you're wobbly and you know you can't sustain that. 
whatever you're trying to build your life on. I don't care if it's your kids. You want to you crush your kids? Build your life on them. And your house will fall down too. It won't work. Whatever it is, it won't work. You think those shepherds rejoiced for no reason that night? They've been standing on that their entire lives until they met the messenger who told them the good news of Jesus. And I just want to go back to verses 10 and 11 to wrap this up. Verses 10 and 11, because I want you to hear two things. He said, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born, listen, to you. A Savior has been born to you. He makes it personal to them, doesn't he? It's for all the people, for sure. Faith is for all the people. The gospel is for all the people. And it is also to you, for you to hear the good news of great joy. And it will be for all the people. And we can share it with all the people. And it will go to all the people. But it starts with you receiving the gospel of joy. Man, I don't know where everybody in this room is right now with your faith and with your understanding of who Jesus is. But maybe this morning you just need to know that the gospel of joy, the good news of great joy, it's for you. Maybe you're living your life still balancing on whatever that thing is, or maybe you've stacked up a stack of them, and you're just trying to play this circus game every single day and just eking it out, just making it through, just getting by with a little bit of worldly happiness here and there. Maybe by God's grace today, he would just kick that out from under you so that you can feel what's under your feet. You know what the beautiful thing is about rock bottom? There's a rock on the bottom that we can stand on. And his name is Jesus, the rock of our salvation. You can't stand on, you can try, you can keep trying. But man, I want to stand on Jesus and I want you to stand on Jesus. It's good news for you and it's good news for all people. So here's what we're going to do, y'all. We're going to keep singing this morning. We're going to worship God this morning. We're going to keep praising him and lifting up his name. And I want to give us an opportunity, just like we do every Sunday. I just want us to lift his name up and I want us to pray. And maybe this morning you just feel like you need to pray. Maybe for some of you, you need to come and lay down whatever that thing is. You know right now as you stand there, you're still standing on one. You're still standing on something. You're still making it up as you go along. You're still trying to pretend like you've got it all together. And you just need to go, you know what, God, I'm done. I'm laying it as as hard as it may be, as ugly as it might be, as confusing as it might be sometimes. I'm just done with this and I want to come to Jesus. Maybe you just need to lay that down this morning. Or, you know what, maybe you just want to come up and pray for that person in your life that you want to share the good news with. Maybe there's some, I know a lot of y'all, y'all have conversations with me, my my coworker, my son, my daughter, my, my dad, or whoever it is, you're trying to share the gospel. Maybe you just want to come and pray. God, would you let them see that there is joy in the good news? So as we sing and as we praise him today, maybe you just want to sit at your chair and pray. Come up here and pray with me. Let's be a church that prays for this and lifts up 
the good news of great joy for all the people. Guys, all the people, you know where they're at? They're out there. And we're going to go tell them about Jesus. So let's sing about him and let's pray to him. Lift up his name. Good news of great joy for all people.